0: Amen. Well, after a long hiatus from the book of Matthew, we're jumping back into Matthew today. And so, if you've been with Park Community Church for a while, you know that we were in the book of Matthew for about nine months earlier this year. And then we hit pause on it this fall and dealt with some other things in Scripture. And now we're coming back to the book of Matthew. We're going to be tracking through the second half of the book of Matthew leading up to Easter. And so, we'll follow Jesus, teaching his disciples, leading his disciples, and ultimately going to the cross in our place on our behalf and if you miss the first half of the book there's re- re- really what you missed is this continual theme that kingdoms are in conflict we live in a world that is in conflict we live in this spiritual battle which is in conflict in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 Jesus enters the scene he starts his earthly ministry and he says this is the first thing that he says to the crowds and to his followers he says repent For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent means to turn. It means to turn from your own control, turn from your own way of doing things, turn from the world's way of doing things, and turn to God. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And throughout the book of Matthew, Jesus continues to share with us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be in that for the next couple weeks, actually. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 13, continues to unfold for us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And throughout the entire book of Matthew, we see that the kingdom of heaven is in direct conflict with the kingdom of earth. There's this colliding between the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand. It's not just removed. It's not just up there in the sky for us to experience later. When Jesus came, the reason we just celebrated Christmas is because Jesus came and walked among us and he brought the kingdom of heaven to earth and it's beginning to grow. The beginning movement of the kingdom of heaven on earth was in Jesus' life. But it runs in direct conflict. And we see this all through the book of Matthew that what we want doesn't always match what God wants. Our desires don't always match God's desires. What we believe to be right, what our culture believes to be right, what the world believes to be right, often conflicts with what God calls right. The way that we would lead, the decisions that we would make, the things that we would want often are different than the way that God leads The decisions that God makes and the things that God calls right and good. And so Jesus here, he's he's walking among this earth, the kingdom of the earth, but he's breaking in the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't, he doesn't de-escalate the conflict for us, he actually heightens it. Jesus is actually like throwing gas on the conflict between heaven and earth. He's, he's shining a spotlight on this conflict and he's revealing it to us. He's helping you and I. He's helping his followers here 2,000 years ago and anyone who would read his teachings from there on out, who would study his teachings, who would seek to get to know him. He's helping us to identify the conflict so that we could live life here on this earth and flourish but ultimately keeping our mind on the eternal, on what is to come. Jesus is not... Speaking in Matthew thirteen, he's given some parables. He gives seven parables in Matthew thirteen. We're going to look at the first one today, and we'll combine the second two over the next the second few over the next couple of weeks. But as Jesus comes speaking parables, he's not speaking culturally sensitive words. He's not being politically correct. He is confronting the kingdom of earth. He's confronting anyone who would listen to him to show them their idols and to reveal for them this conflict so that they could walk in peace. And so what I want to do this morning is read Matthew 13 verses 1 through 23 and then talk about how Jesus confronts the conflict, the battle that we're in. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through 23. It's on page 18. What is that page number? 818 in the Pew Bible. I've asked my wife to come and read it. So if you could stand as we read this passage and follow along and then we'll get going.
1: Reading from Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given." Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty.
0: God, we don't want to be people who hear but never understand, who see but never perceive, whose hearts have grown dull. We want want to be a people who see and perceive. We want to be a people who hear and understand. We want to turn. We want to repent and receive your healing. So, Lord, I pray that you would lead us there today through your word for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, here's the big idea from this text that I want to wrestle through this morning. Jesus is making us aware of the conflict at hand so that we might reach out and receive the gift of abundant life from his hand. Jesus is making us aware of the conflict at hand so that we might reach out and receive the gift of abundant life from his hand. See, Jesus loves people. All people are created in the image of God, and Jesus was sent to redeem people, to restore people, to bring people back to how God intended life to be in perfect communion with him and one another, without war, without conflict. But in order for that to happen, there is this conflict between heaven and earth. There's this conflict between our broken, sinful self and and Jesus who comes to redeem us. And so Jesus, because he is God's sent servant coming to show us love, coming to redeem us in love, he's trying to help us understand the conflict at hand. See, see, we wrestle with these questions. Why are some people saved and others not? Many of you have asked that question. And it seems like Jesus is addressing that here. Why is it that, that some seed is scattered? And in this parable, in this passage, the seed refers to the word of God going out, the truth of God's word. Why is it that when God's word goes out, sometimes it grows and sometimes it flourishes and sometimes it bears fruit? And why is it that sometimes it doesn't? In essence, why is it that some people are saved and some people are not? Why do some people persevere in their faith while others fall away? Why is it that some people see and perceive and others don't? Why is it that some people hear and understand and others don't? Why is it that some turn from their destructive ways and turn to God and others don't? Why is it that some people receive the healing touch of Jesus and others don't. And I think Jesus here is, is getting at that. He's helping his followers and really in essence here the crowd. And in Matthew thirteen there's there's two different sections here. One he's speaking parables to the crowd, to all these people gathered. Some are interested, some are curious, some have ears that never hear, some have eyes that never see, some never turn and follow him, and others are turning to following him. So Matthew 13, we're going to see Jesus speaking both to the crowds and then explaining things to his disciples off the record. Well, not off the record, we actually have the record. Thank you, Matthew, disciple, he recorded it. But but it's not to the crowd, it's to these people who are committed to Jesus. See, Jesus is speaking in parables. A parable is a simple story used to illustrate, illustrate a spiritual truth. So as we study through Matthew 13, keep that in mind. Jesus is using these simple stories to help illustrate spiritual truths. That's what Jesus tells us here, in, that, that's what he gives us here in verses 1 through 9. Jesus gives a parable to the crowds, all these people. It, it's amazing how Jesus functioned what Jesus did. He's got this crowd of people gathered around him, and he gives this parable that leaves some people confused. If most pastors in America today spoke the way that Jesus spoke, their churches would fire them pretty quickly, because they would be like, you're confusing everybody. Jesus wasn't concerned about growing a crowd, gaining an audience, extending his platform. When he had all these people gathered, he was saying, I I want to speak truth that helps to to draw the line. Here's what he does. So he gives this parable in verses 1 through 9, and then in verses 10 through 17, he explains this. Look at verse 10. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? His followers are like, Jesus, why are you confusing all these people? Couldn't you just make it clear for them? Couldn't you make it plain for them? Couldn't you make it simple for them? The disciples are confused, and Jesus answered them, verse 11, To you it has been given to know the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the, for to the one who has, more will be given, and to and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. See, Jesus is actually speaking in parables here to draw in those hungry for the kingdom of heaven. There's people following Jesus, there's people in these cities, there's people in these crowds who are sick of what the world has to offer. They know that it leads nowhere. They know that you can have all of the riches, all of the success, all of the prominence, or all of the despair, all of the disappointment, all of the rejection, and either way, if you are seeking the kingdom of earth, you're left hungry and wanting more. And so he speaks in parables to draw in those who are hungry for the kingdom of heaven. Those who are saying, I've tried everything in this life and and it's not satisfying. It doesn't answer the deepest questions of my soul, the deepest longings of my heart. And so he speaks in a parable, those who are hungry for the kingdom of heaven. And he said this throughout the book of Matthew, that that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. And so he's speaking in parables to draw those people in. He's also speaking in parables to distance those who are hungry for the kingdoms of earth. See, in these crowds, in these people that he's speaking to, there's people who want Jesus to rise up as a political king. They they want him to make life better for them. They they, they want him to establish, to reestablish Israel as a nation. They want a king to sit on the throne and to dominate top-down They're hungry for their own success, they're hungry for their own comfort, they're hungry for their own power, they're hungry for their own security, they're hungry for the growth of their own nation in spite of the Gentiles that Jesus is coming to redeem. And so Jesus speaks in parables to draw in those who are hungry for the kingdom of heaven to to be born on earth, to grow on earth, and he's also speaking in parables to distance those who just want their way who want the kingdom of earth and he like a prophet specifically like the prophet Isaiah who he quotes here in verses 14 through 15 he like a prophet is calling people he's calling out to people who hear but they but they don't really hear you know what that's like i don't have my phone on me let's pretend this is my phone you know what it's like to be sitting on your couch your roommate or your spouse or your kids are talking to you, you hear the noise. You don't hear what they're saying, right? And so Jesus here is is picking up the words from the prophet Isaiah and he's saying "There's, there's people like that. They're so tuned into their own life, to their own reality that they've heard the gospel, they've heard the good news, but they're just busy on their own things. There's people who see but they don't really see. They may gather at church. They, they may experience worship. They, they may come and they, they may have seen his miracles. I mean, Jesus has been doing incredible miracles throughout the book of Matthew. And, and people are seeing this. People are seeing the, the, the people, the broken people, the people with disease, the people with ailments, the, the disgusting lepers and the outcasts of society. They're seeing them healed in front of them. And Jesus, Jesus is saying, some people see, they saw that happen, but they don't see deeper than that. They don't understand who I am and what I'm doing. And, and some people just don't understand. And at the end of verse 15, picking up the words from Isaiah again, he says, if they would, if they would hear, if they would see, if they would understand, if they would turn, if they would repent, if they would turn from their own ways, turn from, turn from the conflict and embrace the truth, I would heal them this refers to spiritual healing to eternal healing to to renewing our souls to bringing us back to the humanity that jesus intended in verse 16 he says but blessed are your eyes for they see so now he's speaking to the disciples who asked him the question why did you speak this parable to the crowds he's explaining i spoke in parables to to distance those who are chasing after the things of earth and to draw in those who are hungry for the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you, your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Verse 16. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's he's saying, Jesus the Messiah is here. I'm in front of you. This whole thing that, that the left side of the book talks about is being unfolded in front of you. And so the question remains, why is it that some people hear and others don't? Why do some see and others don't? Why do some understand and others don't? Why do some turn and receive healing and others don't? There's a mystery there that we can't fully understand or unpack, but I think part of it is, is that some are willing to engage the conflict and wrestle through the conflict between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. Some are saying, I want to figure this thing out. I want to I wrestle through this. I want to take Jesus at his word, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it confronts my idols, even if it confronts my world, and and I want to figure this out. And here, Jesus is actually trying to make us aware of the conflict that's at hand. You know, it's it's like a gift. Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift to anyone who would receive Jesus, right? Right? He's trying to make us aware of the conflict at hand so that we might reach out and receive the gift of abundant life that Jesus is talking about here in the text. Because if someone has given you a gift, Christmas just ended. Do any of you have a wrapped gift sitting on a shelf waiting to open later? Anybody? Did you all open? Did you get gifts and open them? How many of you got a gift and opened it? Raise your hand nice and high most of us. What good is a gift if it's not opened and understood and experienced and used? So throughout the scriptures, we see, we learn, there's many passages saying that salvation is a free gift. It's Jesus living a perfect life in our place, dying a sacrificial death in our place, and overcoming sin and death in the grave, and it's there. Anyone who would hear and understand, anyone who would see and perceive, anyone who would turn and come to him can receive this healing gift. But, like any gift, we have to utilize it. We have to open it. We have to experience it. We have to understand the gift. I mean, if, if you got a gift that you didn't understand and you just let it sit there and you never figured out how to utilize it or what it was good for it would be a worthless gift, right? And so salvation is a gift, but in order for us to taste and see the benefits of following the Lord, in order for us to receive the abundant life that Jesus has, we have to receive it, and we have to understand it, and that's what Jesus is getting at here. Some, some see, some understand, some don't see, some don't understand, so what he's trying to do to help us utilize this gift And experience the gift of our salvation, or if you're not saved, to come into a saving relationship with Him, is to make us aware of the conflict at hand. There's three conflicts going on here in this parable. So He gives the parable in verses 1 through 9, and then He explains the parable in verses 18 through 23. So He gives the parable of the sower, there's seed that's sown, the seed represents the Word of God, the truth of the gospel. And, and some grow, some don't. There's different soils. There's four different results. In between, he answers the disciples, why he speaks in parables, and then verses 18 through 23, he explains the parable. But he's unfolding these three conflicts for us. The first conflict that Jesus deals with is that there is an enemy who seeks to snatch us. So if you want to receive the gift of salvation or grow in this gift, experience the abundant life of God, Jesus is wanting us to be aware and mindful that there is an enemy who seeks to snatch us. That's what he says in verse 4, the parable. He says, and a sower went out to sow, this is like a prophet, a pastor, a priest, went out to share Jesus is proclaiming the the truth of the gospel, that the kingdom of God is at hand, sowing the seeds of eternal life. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. It's the first conflict. And he, he, he explains what he means by that here in the second part, in verse 19. Here then, the parable of the sower. So he's explaining what he said in verses 1 through 9. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So parable number, f- verse 4, the first soil in this parable, the, the sea that falls along the path and birds come and devour it, he explains it in verse 19, the evil one. The enemy comes to snatch it. See, Jesus is trying to help us keep in mind to be aware that there is this unseen reality, that there is this spiritual war going on around us, and we ought not to become lazy and to forget about that and to only see things that are in front of us. Jesus is reminding his followers that a way that we grow in this gift, a way that we reach out and receive the free gift of salvation, the abundant life that he has to give us, is to keep in mind that there is an enemy who, sneaks, who seeks to snatch us. Scripture refers to the devil like a, like a lion prowling. He's hungry. He's seeking somebody to devour. See, church, whether you've placed your faith in Jesus here today or not, There is this spiritual enemy that is against you and he's trying to distract you and he's trying to lead you astray. And, and we live in this conflict between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And, and there's this enemy here in our earth who is trying to lead us away. And he may not be present right here now. He's not like God. He's not everywhere at all times. But he has forces. He has demons. He has evil. He has a handle on this world. And he deceives and he leads people astray. And he's seeking to devour you. He does not want you to flourish. He does not want your relationship with God to grow. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's warning his disciples and the crowds that if you're going to grow in abundant life with me, if you're going to bear fruit, you need to be aware and keep in mind that you have an enemy who seeks to snatch you. Don't be unaware. Stay alert. Stay ready. Dress for action. It's what Ephesians 5, at the end of the end of the chapter where it talks about the the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the the sword of the word. We live in a battle. We live in a conflict. And so, church, stay ready. Be aware. You have an enemy. He's not in this for your best. He's in this for your worst. And so because we have an enemy, Jesus wants us to be aware of the enemy, but we have the whole counsel of God's word. And so there's an encouragement here. There's an enemy who seeks to snatch us, so, church, we need a Savior who can keep us. We are dependent on someone outside of ourselves to save us. We can't moralize our way into heaven. We can't devotionalize our way into heaven. We can't attend church and do our religious duties enough. We can't, we can't like, in our own power, conform ourselves to God's will to get into heaven. We have an enemy who's seeking to drag us away, an enemy who's seeking to snatch us. And so church, family, we are dependent. We need a savior, someone outside of ourselves who can keep us. There's good news here. Keeping with the whole counsel of God's will. Look at what Jesus says to his followers in John 28:29. 29. He says, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Church, take heart. You have an enemy who seeks to snatch you, but if you're in Christ, you have a Savior who says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's how you enter the conflict, church. That's how you press through life and receive this abundant gift and grow in this abundant gift of salvation from the Lord to remember that there's an enemy. He's prowling around like a lion, seeking someone to devour, seeking someone to snatch away like these birds, snatch away the seed. And to overcome that fate, you must remember that Jesus came. He's the Savior. He's the Christ who said, If you give your life to me, if you follow me, no one will snatch you out of my hand. So church, if you're in Christ, don't be afraid. Live your life in hope. Cling to this promise, cling to this truth that no one can snatch you out of God's hand because Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has sealed your fate. Jesus has redeemed you, renewed you, and he holds you. He keeps you. The second conflict that Jesus deals with here is that the world is full of trials. Verse five and six, he says, other seed's rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil but when the sun rose they were scorched and since they had no root they withered away now move over to verse 21 where he explains it verse 20 and 21 he says as for what was sown on the rocky ground this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on the count of the word, immediately he falls away. Many of you have probably experienced this. You've seen this. People who like used to be vibrant in their faith. And now they want nothing to do with their faith. Maybe you're there or maybe you feel yourself trending that way. Like I used to believe this stuff. I used to care about this stuff. But I'm not sure anymore. How can I I be so sure? And and Jesus is warning us here that the world is full of trials. Frustration comes from unmet expectations. So if your expectation is that following Jesus is going to be easy, it's going to help you to avoid trials. It's going to help you to avoid tribulation. It's going to help you to avoid persecution. That's a false expectation. And you're going to be frustrated. Jesus here is warning his followers in the crowds that anyone who would follow me, they're going to experience trials. Specifically here in this text, he's speaking of trials. He's speaking of persecution and tribulation that comes on on account of the word. He's speaking specifically to people who are going to suffer because they call Jesus king. Because they've decided to embrace this conflict and they've said, in the middle of this earth, when I live on this world, in this earthly vessel i'm going to try and and kill my desire to live for the kingdom of earth and rather i'm going to abide in christ and live for the kingdom of heaven and as a result you're going to experience tribulations and persecutions you're going to run into conflict and you are going to run in conflict with the world you're going to be confronted at your work with biblical ethics like, my job expects me to do this, and I don't think I can do that. You're going to be confronted when you, when you watch the football games this afternoon, and there's all these commercials that are alluring you in for things that just seem so satisfying. And, and is that me? I feel tempted. There's this tribulation, actually, that this gets into it in the next, in the next conflict here, but there's, there's trials that come from following Jesus. There's tribulation, there's persecution. Some of our brothers and sisters around the world are actually losing their lives because they follow Jesus. They make a decision to follow Jesus in certain countries, and there's fear of execution. And so Jesus here is warning his followers in the crowd that anyone who would come after me, they better expect trials. It's gonna happen. Be prepared. And so because we live in a world full of trials, church, Jesus goes on to tell us that we need soil that is soft with roots that go deep. This is exactly what he's getting at here. This, this second seed, it, it fell and it, it didn't grow because it was on rocky soil. It, it wasn't in the right environment. There, there, there were trials that quickly came. The sun pounded down and it didn't have... Soft enough soil or deep enough roots to overcome that season. Last week, I preached on Jeremiah 17 and said that seasons are inevitable, therefore, environments are essential, right? Same exact point. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Seasons are inevitable. You're going to go through seasons of life where there's trials, where there's tribulation, where there's persecution, where there's suffering. Sometimes it relates to your faith directly. In America, praise the Lord, we don't have much persecution at the moment. We, we don't have a whole lot of tribulation because of our faith. It's coming. It will happen. But, but we have trials. We have tribulation. All of us do. We experience suffering. And so Jesus is warning us. It's going to come. And because it's going to come, because seasons are inevitable, environments are essential. You need a soft soil, the soft soil of community. A place where, where when trials come, when persecution comes, people that you can lean on, people that you can rest on, people who can point you to the fact that the eternal is better than the temporary. Because when trials and persecutions and tribulations come, oftentimes we want, to, we want a removal of circumstance rather than a renewal of the mind, right? Right? When we're experiencing trials and tribulations, sometimes we, we, our prayers are even like this. God, would you just remove the circumstance? How often do we pray for that? Rather than, God, would you renew my mind? Would you renew my heart? We want to remove the circumstance rather than renewal of mind, and so we need community to remind us. The eternal is better than the temporal. Press on, brother. Press on, sister. This trial won't last forever. It may last for your life. But there's an eternal hope. There's an eternal glory. This isn't it. So carry on. And we need roots that go deep to the stream of living water that pull in the nourishment of God's word. If we're in a soft soil with roots that grow deep, we can be assured that we won't fall into that second category where when the trials of life comes, we abandon our faith because it's too hard. Ultimately, we need a savior who has overcome the world. So, so because we live in a world full of trials, we need soft soil and roots that go deep. We need a church community to do life with, to help our roots grow deep, to, to give us the soft soil in which we can grow. But ultimately, church, we need a savior who has overcome the world. And the good news is we have this. Look at what Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, because Jesus loves us. Because he loves those who would follow after him. And he loves the crowds, those who will reject him. And he's saying, here's what you need to know. Just be aware, in this world, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so if you want to overcome your trials and your tribulations, follow me, for there is eternal hope, there is eternal glory on my path. Follow me. And the third conflict that Jesus deals with here is that the world is full of temptations. Verse 7, the third scattering of seed, he says, other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. And Jump over to verse 22 where he explains it. He says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And you've experienced this as well. You've seen people who For a while, it seemed like they were doing good. They were were growing. They were passionate about the Lord. Maybe you've experienced this in your own soul. For a while, you were doing good. You were passionate about the Lord. But then, oh, life just has so many good things to offer. A bigger paycheck. A bigger house. Some better sex. Some better food. Some better drink. Some more comfort. Some more luxury. And Jesus is saying that that. If you take your eyes off of the kingdom of heaven and fix your eyes on the kingdom of earth, you will be choked out. The world is full of temptations, things that promise to fulfill us, things that deceive us and lead us away from the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. And so Jesus, again, he's warning us that temptation is for all of us to seek the temporal over the eternal it, the temptation is for us to, to follow the, 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 the impulses of our flesh to receive instant gratification rather than eternal glory. Right? It's, it's far easier in the moment. And things of the world are so tantalizing... They seem so satisfying and so much easier than saying no and persevering and pressing on and enduring the hardship and, and, and staying rooted in soil and having roots that grow deep and putting up with trials and tribulations and persecutions. It's, it seems so much easier. I mean, that's what half of the Psalms are about. The psalmist is like, God, why are the evil flourishing? And they have all that they want. They have all the food, the drink, the sex, the parties, the fun. And here I am suffering for the Lord. And and so it seems easier. The world is full of temptations. Jesus wants us to know it. He wants us to be aware of it. He's saying that as the seed is scattered, there's some who hear it and and it sounds appealing. Maybe they think this is their next best fix. Like this is how to fill themselves for a moment of time. And then they realize, oh, actually Jesus is going to ask me to give some things up. He's going to ask me to lay some things down. He's going to ask me to do some hard things. And and I don't want to do hard things. I just want to do the easy, fun thing. I want instant gratification. And so Jesus is warning us, the world is full of temptations. And the conflict between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth is that you're going to experience this struggle between the temptations of your flesh and what's good and right for your soul. And so because the world is full of temptations, church, we need a Savior who is tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that's what we have in Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see how Jesus is leading his people? He's leading the crowds and his followers. He he longs for us to be people who, who see and actually see. We see and perceive. We hear and actually hear. We understand. And we turn from our wicked ways and we follow him and we receive healing and we flourish. Jesus is making us aware of the conflict at hand. The world is full of trials. The world is full of temptations. He wants us to be aware. He wants us to be engaged. We have an enemy who's seeking to devour us. Jesus comes to warn us. Be alert. Be aware. You have an enemy. You're going to experience trials. And oh, the world is so tempting. And Jesus knows it because he experienced it. And he lived a perfect life without sin in our place on our behalf, tempted, yet without sin. He overcame trials. Remember what he said in John 16, In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart for I have overcome the world. In John 10, 28. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so church, as we go into this new year, seeking to grow spiritually, seeking to have abundant fruit, and that's what Jesus gets at at the end of the parable here. Verse 23, he says, for what was sown on the good soil, the good soil, the the church community, those who in humility are bending knee to King Jesus and saying, I want the kingdom of heaven. I will die to myself. I will die to my flesh. The kingdom of earth seems easy. It's tantalizing. It's here. It's tangible. It's in front of me. Everyone else around me is doing it, but, but I want to die to that. I want to live for the kingdom of heaven and for King Jesus. With these people, in this place, in this community, wholeheartedly running after my King, my Savior, my Lord, the one who conquered the enemy, the one who overcame trials and tribulations, and the one who lived a perfect life, Tempted in every way as I am, yet without sin. And Jesus says, those who are in the good soil, those who hear the word and understand it, because those, those who, it, it's a gift. Salvation is a gift from God. God. God gives this gift, but those who open it, who use it, who understand it, who put it to use, he indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, 100-fold, in another, 60, in another, 30 That's an amazing multiplication of spiritual fruit. In this agricultural society, usually like a a five or a tenfold production of fruit, multiplication of fruit, was considered a great crop. Here Jesus is saying, if you abide in me, if you're aware of the conflict at hand, and if you reach out and receive the gift of abundant life in my hand, your life will produce abundant fruit regardless of the circumstances regardless of the heat regardless of the pressure regardless of the temptation regardless of the trials regardless of the enemy who's seeking to snatch you away church family and so this morning let's come to the table let's open up our hands let's receive the abundant fruit that jesus gives from his life we'll we'll do that by taking communion there's two stations here in the front and one in the back. And this is a sign, it's a reminder for you that salvation is a gift from God. We worship Jesus at Park Community Church because Jesus is the one who conquers the enemy. Because Jesus is the one who overcame all of life's trials and tribulations. And Jesus is the one who lived his life tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so we come to the table to receive him, to remind ourselves that we have salvation and it comes from no one other than Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. That you love us enough to warn us of the conflict going on around us, to inform us of it, and to invite us into an abundant life Where regardless of this conflict between heaven and earth, we can grow, we can produce fruit, we can flourish. Because we have a Savior who's conquered the enemy. We have a Savior who's overcome all of life's trials. We have a Savior who's overcome all of life's temptations. And you, Jesus, have imparted your righteousness to us. So we come this morning to the table humbly, receiving the gift of grace, being reminded of who we are in you for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.